It's time for Heat Wave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heat Wave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. And welcome on in to a super Sunday night. It's Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Tim Unglesby, DeMond Cotton with you from Las Vegas, Nevada. And my co-host, of course, back in New York City, TomBartonSports.com, Sports Garden Network, the man himself, Tom Barton. And we have, a, of course, a loaded show for you. Sweet 16, day two. We're going to break these games down for you and get you the... Uh, look ahead to next uh, tomorrow and Tuesday's games, actually. We're going to do some NFL talk as we further break down that trade that the Miami Dolphins and the Niners pulled off just two days ago. And we'll finish off our Major League Baseball previews as we look ahead to Thursday, opening day, as we will look at the American League East, which Tommy and I both have uh, our, our respective teams in, and the National League Central, which we might as well just give a division win or two already, but we'll get to that in hour two. So, Tom, big show tonight, lots to go on, and, and of course we'll start with college basketball. Yeah, look, college basketball is ruling the day, obviously. Uh, some subpar games early on. I, I couldn't be more wrong about Florida State. Uh, we'll get into that. Gonzaga with a, with a blow, you know that. UCLA-Alabama game wound up to be fantastic, and then we ended the day off with uh, what I thought was a, a pretty boring game. So, you know, there's a reason why opening weekend gets the excitement. It's really the opening two days. This was an uninspiring day. But now we're looking at Monday and Tuesday, and I'm intrigued at the matchups. I am. I'm looking at today, and I actually, look, I had the Florida State thing reversed. But I didn't really see uh, many big close games. And we had the UCLA-Alabama game, which wound up being a, a nice game. But outside of that, there wasn't much. Tim, in the next two days, I actually think we're going to get some good games. Yeah, you're starting to see, um, I wouldn't even say like thinning out the the field because I think there's some teams here that, I don't know about you, but there, I definitely didn't have UCLA or USC this far through. But, hey, you know what, they're there, and maybe they're out to prove something. But, you know, we still have all these great storylines, including what we saw today in that Gonzaga still undefeated and mowing through the competition, Tom, and a Michigan team that looked like they had something to prove. Yeah, Michigan, look. Uh, I hate to do this, and I got a lot of flack for this last night. A lot of people wrote it, wrote me over at uh, Tom Barton Sports, and they were like, you know, you're bringing down teams that won. Look, it was just my perception of, of how the day went. I look at a team like Michigan today, and Michigan, look, you give them credit for what they did. They got out of there with a win. That's just the way that, that it happened. They got out of there with a win. But, Tim, at the end of the day, this was Florida State just falling apart. You know, I put yeah. it up, uh, you know, at half. I said, I'm actually encouraged that Florida State's only down by 11. And we're sitting here, and Florida State was 0 for 8 from three-point land. They had, uh, they were shooting 31%. They had 10 fouls to, oh, by the way, Michigan got called for one foul in the first 30 minutes of this game. You want to talk about bad refs. But the refs were against them, sure. But Florida State just played a terrible game. I mean, an absolutely terrible, terrible game. Guys, this is a team that they, they couldn't hit a shot. And you give Michigan life in the second half, and they just pulled away and kind of dominated in the second half. I will say that Florida State lost this game way more than Michigan won it. Now, 
I've been talking since the very beginning. And before the tournament went on, and I have shows at sportsgarden.com. You guys can go check it out. I have shows on, on Heat Wave Sports. You guys can go check out the archives. Talking about all year long, I said it in January, I said it in February, I said it at the beginning of March, that I believed that this was the year that the big heavy favorites were all going to advance. I believed in the ones, I believed mostly in a lot of the twos, and I thought that, that this was a top every kind of season. Entering the tournament, I said, guys, we're going to get crazy, crazy upsets. You're going to see it. It's going to happen. Obviously, I called Oral Roberts. Everybody knows that. Sure. But, Tim, here we are. Gonzaga's a one, they advance. Michigan's a one, they advance. Baylor's a one, they advance. They're still alive here. So Michigan's a one. I saw problems with them. I thought Livers being out was going to be a big problem today. Um, I thought Livers being out was going to be a problem throughout. I actually thought Michigan would be the first one to be bounced. Michigan looked good today. But a lot of that was a product of Florida State looking bad. And that's not only my opinion. I understand that. This has been a parroted opinion across the, all the networks. That this was Florida State losing besides Michigan winning. So while Michigan is moving on, they're moving on into the Elite Eight. They are moving on to a great position for them. I am still on a position here where I don't think Michigan's a legit threat at a championship because of what I've watched and who I've watched them play and how I've seen them respond. They got out of there with a win today. But you can't tell me this wasn't Florida State losing as much as Michigan winning. Michigan's 76-58 win over FSU. And you said it, Tommy, in the first half. Ten turnovers by the Seminoles. Uh, they couldn't hit the three ball. And I think at one point, correct me if I'm wrong, they had missed something like 12, 13 out of 14 or 15 shots. And, um, you know, you, you, you basically when you come into a game, right, Tom, especially this deep into it, if – you're not hitting shots, you're going to be in trouble. It's almost like I'm not saying that you can't have a bad game, but uh, it looked from the start, just looked like they were off, and they, and they never really got it under control. Florida State, that is. They Look, here's what happened. Florida State is, is a weak emotional team, right? I mean, that, that's, that's all you can say. Leonard Hamilton has this reputation. Leonard Hamilton is going to the Hall of Fame. Leonard Hamilton has taken Florida State to heights that are just uh, un unbelievable to some Florida State fans and I'm with a lot of Florida State fans right I mean I, I know them uh, uh, very very intimately but besides just my wife and they're all going okay Leonard Hamilton time to go because this is as far as you can take it they're a mentally weak team because of their head coach and Florida State got into a position where they got bad calls against them they weren't hitting the shot they couldn't figure it out and by the time they looked up they were down 11 at the half down 11 and a half, well, our three-pointers aren't working. We're, we're completely taken out of our game because the refs were completely against them. But they, you think they'd come out of the half and kind of make halftime adjustments. Now, they put up 37 and a half. They also allowed 44. They didn't get only beat in the first half. They got beat in the first two halves, uh, in both halves. And that's a product of what we have seen from Florida State year after year. While this is still a football school, it's turning into a basketball school. And, Tim, it's frustrating for Florida State. Biggest team out there, best three-point shooting team, and you can't make the Elite Eight. It frustrates the Florida State fan base. You know, it's interesting you bring up Leonard Hamilton, who's been at Florida State almost 20 years now, Tom, and he's been to the tournament nine times, a career-winning percentage as the Seminole head coach of 64%. Like you said, he's a Hall of Fame coach, right? And you could even go back – to his last uh, few years with with Miami when he went to three straight 
NCAA terms for Florida State. You took the taking the job at Florida State. So if you're, you know, this poses a good question. When we always talk about what's acceptable at a football school, which what Florida State was and is, right? Is, is this acceptable? Is this okay? You, you've been to nine tournaments in 20 years. You have a 64% winning percentage. You win 20 games year in and year out. That's okay? It is because of who they are. It, you know, mm-hmm. again, the fan base started to chirp a couple of years ago, and, I, and not being as intimate with uh, you know Leonard Hamilton, and, and you go and come on, guys, look, look, you know, this is fine. The ACC is turned now, right? Virginia is a powerhouse in the ACC, and Florida State has won an ACC championship. They won an ACC championship, uh, you know, tournament. They have done really, really well for themselves. Except this is their ceiling. I don't think it's becoming acceptable anymore. I really don't. It's it's getting to a point, Tim, where the Florida State fan base is annoyed. They're upset. They they are done with. Hey, we have a ceiling here, and we we go through this in sports, don't we? Whether it be baseball, football, basketball, you go through. Buck Showalter was was the perfect guy for this. He was able to take a team oh so far. When are you okay with saying, you know what? This is consistently very good, but it will never be great. Do we tear it down? Go ask the Chicago Bears, who got rid of Lovey Smith because he won 10 games every year. Do you tear it down completely and say, you know what, we're done with being very good? And you roll the dice and say, we want to be great? But there's the chance, Tim. Florida State doesn't even make it this far. Yeah. But to that point, right, so you mentioned Lovey Smith. He won 10 games every year, get fired. What have they done since he's gone? That's right. my point. Uh, you roll the dice. That, that's, a, that's what I was trying to say. You know, you roll the dice, yeah. and it, this could go sideways for you. The Chicago Bears were, were sick and tired of making the playoffs, winning 10 games every year, going to a Super Bowl with Rex Grossman, and not being able to get a championship. And they believed, you know what, we're able to turn this thing around. We're going to roll the dice, put the dice out on the table, and when we roll the dice, we might win a Super Bowl. But you know what? We might also be through three coaches – we might also be struggling to be relevant, which is where Chicago finds themselves today. And we've yeah. seen this happen with teams in all sports, in all kinds of situations, where they get rid of somebody that just isn't isn't that guy, right? He's just not quite that guy, and everybody knows it. You know, look, he's going to do really well for a while, just not going to get you over the hump. And then what happens? You know, you roll the dice, and things could go bad. Things could go also go very well. We watched the New York Yankees get rid of Buck Showalter. I was screaming at the top of my lungs. What are you doing? Why would you get rid of this guy? Uh, Joe Torre comes in, puts him over. There are managers, there are head coaches, and there are basketball coaches that are like that. That, you know what, let's roll the dice. Let's see if we can go that next step. Sometimes it just doesn't work, Tim. And the Florida State Seminoles and their backers and their boosters today are calling for Leonard Hamilton's head. And I'm sitting here going, you know what? I get it. I do. I get it. Because you're not winning a championship with Leonard Hamilton at the helm. You've had very, very talented teams the last four or five years or so. He's going to recruit well. They're going to be big again. And next year, right, when we're talking about the preseason, I'm going to go, you know what? He's a top 25 guy or team. They might be a top 10 team next year. Tim, they're not a real threat to win the championship. Hmm. Well, Jawan Howard and Michigan move on into the Elite Eight, Tom, and they'll play the winner of this game, which is going to be Alabama-UCLA. What a basketball game this was, right? Just a tale of two halves. 
you get a get a three ball to force the overtime, and then the and Bruins to cast turned the over, it on. By the way, I had, I had a little bit on the over. I tweeted it out today. Every game yesterday went under, and I didn't have anything in the Gonzaga game. I told you I kind of like that under, right? Uh, I didn't play it. Right. Kind of like the under. Kind of like Gonzaga. I played a little a little parlay on Gonzaga in the under, but I didn't really play it hard. Then all of a sudden, Michigan, Florida State. I just was in on Florida State, and I said, "Oh my goodness." We haven't had an over in two days here. So I took the over UCLA-Alabama. I was almost kicking myself. And then that three hits, boom. That was fantastic. <laughs> what a game. And, and in overtime, you know, the Bruins, it looked like Alabama just re- basically ran out of gas after that run in the second half. And uh, UCLA just took it to them in the overtime period. They win by 10. And we're going to have a battle of the 90s on Tuesday, Michigan and UCLA, Tom. Yeah, Michigan-UCLA is going to be interesting. And how weird is it that we're talking about UCLA Bruins basketball being the the small team everyone's <laughs> kind of rooting for, right? <laughs> you know, the <laughs> UCLA basketball, which has, has more basketball tradition than, than people have could ever imagine. Uh, UCLA basketball of all schools is the school that everyone's pushing for the little guy. Because they're the little guy now, right? I mean, they're the 11 seed. It's just a weird world that we're sitting in. What do, you, what do you take when you look at this matchup? So we're looking at, you know, today, uh, UCLA is just a house of fire in the beginning of the game. And, and um, just a tale of two halves, like I said. It really is second half. Nate Oates had his guys come out, and, and they played a completely different style and were able to get this game, luckily, to the overtime. But, uh, you know, Mick Cronin, who took Cincinnati to, to many, many uh tournaments and you know he's a sweet 16 guy he's like in familiar territory right now where he's at yeah mick cronin like the mandela effect is in full effect here right i thought he was a i thought he was a unlv coach <laughs> right did that happen tim did that happen he, he he came out here for a vacation and left i think that's what okay. happened <laughs> it's like the mandela effect right you know what the mandela effect yeah. is that's that's you, you you think that uh you remember something being one way like, say, it was right. Chip Ahoy instead of Chips Ahoy. And it actually, you know, the Mandela effect. I remember Mick Cronin was, was the UNLV head coach. I don't know what happened. <laughs> what was that tenure like? But, but, you know, here, look, it's immediate success. And I got to give a lot of credit to Nate Oates as well. I know they're on their way out, and they're two seed, and people are going to bash them for losing to UCLA. But, man, UCLA is playing well. And not only is he, he playing well, but, you know, UCLA is playing a style I said last night, I don't have a read on this team, right? I said last night, I just don't uh, I don't know because they're a good defensive team. They came out and they poured out 40 points in the first quarter. Then they turned around and dominated overtime. They scored 23 points in overtime, Tim. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. UCLA is such a dangerous team, not only because they're well-coached, and they do have uh, quite a few scorers on the team. They're dangerous because they're able to play different styles and this is why when we spoke about Alabama last night I said you know it's all about Alabama's offense 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 all their games that they lost they just got outscored I mean this is what you're looking at and they turned around and they just didn't have that miraculous offense tonight they scored 65 at the you know regulation the end regulation 65 that's what we're talking about Mm -hmm. I went over the scores last night their losses this year, they put up 65, 64, 61. That's what they – they have to get deep into the 70s. And tonight, 78 wasn't even enough. UCLA knew that. They knew how to put pressure on this team. They knew to get them out of their element. You get them out of their element, you're going to get into their heads. And that's all Mick Cronin. you got to give this guy a ton of credit. 
So what's your first analysis on this game Tuesday? Michigan opens a seven-point favorite. I saw the, the total already swing, Tom. It was 140.5 down to 136.5. You know, it, it's hard not to like UCLA with the points. Michigan is clearly the better team. Clearly the better team. But UCLA is in a zone right now where when you turn around and you go, were they the better team or was Michigan State? I don't know. I was down on Michigan State. You know that. But I still, I could probably say people came into that. Look, they were underdogs. People came in saying most likely Michigan State was the better team. BYU. BYU was most likely the better team in most people's minds. Alabama. Alabama was clearly the better team in most people's minds. So when I say Michigan is the better team, well, that that's true. Michigan is the better team. But UCLA is in this spot because they don't care who you think is the better team. Michigan eventually will feel the loss of livers. Michigan eventually will get outcoached because I don't think that Juwan Howard is a good coach and he's not prepared quite yet. He could turn into it. So Michigan has two knocks against them for me. Should they win the game? Yeah, they should probably win the game, too. They should probably win the game. Are they going to beat UCLA by double digits? I don't think so. And I will sprinkle a little bit on the money line. You, you almost have to at this point. In the nightcap, we saw UCLA's brethren in the Pac-12 USC knock off another Pac-12 member in Oregon, Tom, in the 6-7 matchup. The Trojans, 82-68 win over uh, Altman and, and Oregon. And this was a game, again, the first half decided it in this basketball game. SC shooting the lights out in the first half and continued in the second half, Tom, on their way to a double-digit victory. Well, look, when you have the best player on the court, which USC clearly had, and remember, Oregon has already played USC. What were the results there? And this is what we were talking about last night. They got destroyed by USC just a couple of weeks ago, 72-58. to 58. That, 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 that wasn't even close, right? So you look and you go, well, this kind of happened again here. Oregon had so much steam and so much, uh, you know, just absolute eyes pointed at them. Why? Well, because strong offensive outputs during the first round of the tournament get people's attention. And they went out there, they beat a two-seed, by just offensively dominating them. Iowa didn't play defense, and they didn't care to play defense. I know we're going to look at the 41 points and the ridiculous shooting by USC. Putting up 82 is fantastic. I get it. I'm impressed with the fact that they held Oregon to 26 in the first half. I'm impressed with that USC defense. USC has the best player on the court nearly every night. Until they meet Gonzaga, uh, they all have the best court player on the court nearly every night. But they also get it from other places. This wasn't me being down on Oregon, Tim. This was me more saying, you know what? I think Oregon is an inflated team. They're inflated because of what people saw with Iowa. They're inflated because of the way, the style that they beat Iowa. It's not just how, it's, you know, it's not just that they beat them. It's how they beat them. And I thought Oregon was a little overrated. The fact that USC was only giving two just a couple of weeks ago, beat them by 14, was the better team with the better number on it. That's why I told you guys last night I kind of liked USC. And, and I think that the Trojans have run their course. They look really good. White looked good tonight. They still have very good players. This is a good season for USC, and this was a highlight win. Yeah, they're going to, you know, they're, they're 
they go to the finals, Tommy, they're going to have a, th- a 30 win team, and that's crazy considering a COVID year and, uh, you know, the, the lack of respect that the Pac 12 got during the, the regular uh, they're season. They're not going to the finals. Yeah, I don't, I don't have them going there either, but, you know, it, it would be a nice run. But, you know, you talk about coaches, right? And we, we talked about Mick Cronin. And last night we talked about Dana Altman, uh, guys that get their teams at least to the Sweet 16, it seems like, all the time. How about this with Andy Enfield at USC? And I'm borrowing this stat from Tommy from our friend Bernie Fratto, at Bernie Fratto over on Twitter, that USC coach Andy Enfield is 10-0 and against the spread in March Madness games. And that's going back to as well that run that he had with Florida Gulf Coast. Uh, that, that's, that's a pretty crazy stat. That is fantastic. I love it. I love stats like that. Uh, the line came out, Tim, already. Uh, you know, I remember what did I tell you the number was going to be last night. For the Gonzaga game? Yep. Uh, I think it's right around 10, right? Yeah, I, I said it would be, be between 9 and 10. 9 and a half it opened up. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect, right? Perfect. Yeah. Pretty good, this thing. So Gonzaga crushes Creighton. So, you know, it's like, what did what, what you say? You, you can't go against the spread. you gotta, you got to take the points because of the way they're playing. And, and really, I don't think Creighton provided much of an opposition for him here. So we have a 9.5 spread Tuesday against SC, 155 the total. Break this one down. What's, what's going to happen? Same thing. Gonzaga with the points, right? Well, Tim, you're talking about your stats, right? 10-0 against the spread. That, that's a good stat. That's a pretty good stat. How about this? Gonzaga's won 26 straight games by double digits. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You like that stat? And and the spread is under double digits. Look, I just gave a lot of love to USC because I knew that this was coming. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know, Mobley is a fantastic player. He wouldn't be the top three player on Gonzaga. Isaiah White is right. a fantastic player. He might be a bench player for Gonzaga. USC has gotten by with superior talent in a lot of these cases. USC is a very well-coached team. Mark Few is, is way better. Gonzaga does every single thing better than USC. Everything better. And I told you guys, you know, last night, when I told you before the tournament that I just could I thought Gonzaga was the best team in the tournament, uh, but I just couldn't believe that Gonzaga was going to go on and, and win. My goodness, my, my mind has changed, and it changed last night. So today's game meant nothing but icing. I just can't imagine this Gonzaga team losing to Gonzaga not only is, is cruising, before the tournament began, the conversation was, is this Gonzaga team one of the greatest teams of all time? And consistently throughout the year, I've had on my Sports Garden show, I've had guys come on, basketball experts that I respect their opinion, all told me, no, no, they're not. No, they're not. No, they're not. And my one caveat that I continue to keep telling them is, yeah, not yet, right? That word yet means something. That word yet has to be included. And we watched some some idiot put this out. I know that uh, that Mad Dog actually addressed it on his show, put out the best, you know, 25 teams of all time. And, and you know, nobody mentioned Gonzaga. There was no mention of Gonzaga on that list. It was a terrible list anyway, but nobody mentioned Gonzaga. It was nowhere to be found, Tim. And now we're sitting here, and, and I'm saying, do you think that Gonzaga didn't hear this? Because where we sit as we enter the Elite Eight, I, last weekend I didn't believe that Gonzaga was the greatest team of all time or should be in the conversation of the greatest teams of all time. Tim, you keep going out there. 
and you beat 26 teams in a row by double digits, and you humiliate, not beat, they're not beating, they're not even embarrassing at this point, they are humiliating their opponents in this field. The Gonzaga Bulldogs now take on USC with a chance to go to the Final Four. If they continue this path and this dominance, how do we not say they're not one of the greatest teams of all time? The Norfolk game, sure, it's against Norfolk, was an absolute humiliation, 98-55. to 55. The Oklahoma game was a pretty bad embarrassment. They beat Oklahoma by 16, and it wasn't that close. They put up 87. Tonight against Creighton, they could have won this game by 30. They won it by uh, 18 points again. Here is a sweet 16. It's a 13.5-point spread, and you covered it. And you didn't really have much of a problem covering it. Now you're going up against USC. Tim, I think we march right on. I, I don't believe, not only do I not believe that USC will win this game, I don't think they'll be competitive. Now you can tell me, you know what, Gonzaga, yeah, they're going to have an off night. Everything goes wrong for Gonzaga. They still might win by 10 points. I mean, that's what we talked about yesterday. And I'm parroting myself when I tell you. Creighton knew. When you know going in, you know we have to put up 85 to have a chance. And we may put up 85 and still lose by 10. That mentality is going to sit on USC. That mentality is going to just creep into their minds. USC has had a very nice tournament, but they took on a Drake team that was one of the last four in. Okay, Drake, nice story. Good for them. I was glad they got in. Let's be honest to who they were. Drake was a team that just snuck in. Then they took on a Kansas team that had day, what hours, not even days, hours to practice because of COVID. Okay, absolutely destroyed that team. And then they took on Oregon, who they've already faced. They're from their conference. They know them very well. This is not to say that USC had an easy path. This is to say, welcome to the big time. Because now they have to take on that next opponent. And if you look at USC's schedule throughout the year, look, no one's going to be Gonzaga. I get that. But you played very familiar Pac-12 foes all year round. A Pac-12 that we all believed was, you know, down this year. Tell me all you want about how they're advancing down this year. The earliest game that they really had competition, well, UConn beat them earlier in the year, and then they beat up on BYU. I'm not impressed. All of a sudden, their level of competition, and that's what happens when you face a Gonzaga. That level of competition is such a giant leap up. It's just a massive bolt up for them. USC walks onto the court for the first time this season. Okay, against every Pac-12 team, this was real. Against UConn, this was true. And against BYU, this was true. USC had the best player on the court in every game this year. They don't have the best player on the court anymore. USC, you could argue, had the second best player on the court in a lot of those games in Isaiah White. USC will not have not the first, not the second. You could argue probably, you could argue with me about the third. I don't even know if Mobley is the third best player on the court. And when you have that level of just pure dominance and competition up against you, I have to just go fully, fully, fully with the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Gonzaga SC, Michigan, UCLA on Tuesday. And Tom, tomorrow, just in case anybody didn't tune in last night, uh, just a quick recap. Arkansas, Baylor, you like kind of like the points with the Hogs, Oregon State, Houston. What do you got?
now back to Heat Wave Sports with Tim Oglesby and Tom Barton. Back at it here on Heat Wave Sports. If you want to join in tonight, 876-1340, that's the Heat Wave hotline. Or over on Twitter, we get a lot of Twitter action, at HW Sports, at Tom Barton Sports. And Tommy, we're going to move on to the NFL and talk a little football here. The looks like... In the next coming week, the the NFL will officially announce that the regular season will expand to 17 games next year. Uh, just your quick thoughts on that. We knew it was it was built into the the, the bargaining agreement. We knew it was going to happen. Looks like it's officially going to happen now. Uh, Tim, what, what do you think, man? Are you happy about this? Uh, I mean, from a fan standpoint, I, I'm okay with it. Uh, it's, more, it's more games, you know. Right, and and that's why I asked you because. Who's not happy with it? You know what I mean? <laughs> Other than Just the players. players. Right? Other than yeah, the players. players. You know, the fans are happy, which means consumers are happy, which means, you know, fantasy players are happy, which means sports bettors are happy, which means, you know, I mean, it just, uh, it's a situation where I understood the player standpoint where, uh, look, we're going to play more games, um, oh, but this is a grueling toll on our body and whatnot. My answer to them is this, and usually I am pro player, but my answer to them is, Guys, you know what? The, the numbers and the salaries are also astronomical as well. When they're playing, when they're out there playing 10, 12 games, you know what? You got a second job. You know, you're, you're running a dairy truck in the offseason, right? Then you get up to, you know, you're playing different games. And we're talking about 16 games. It, it moves with the times. Now, I will agree with the players that they definitely should have kind of cut training camp. There's no reason for four training games at all. So, you know, look, I, I like it. I like the fact that we get an extra game. I get the players' gripe, but I also go, you know what? Your salary is doing pretty well as well. Yeah, that was my point too. Is that they're mad because it's an extra game? They're not essentially in their minds. They're not getting paid for it, right, Tom? Because the the set amount of the salary is a set amount. But look, it's good for the it's good for the brand. It's good for the game. They're gonna. It looks like they're gonna reduce the preseason to three, which is great you know that we're all happy about that and at the end of the day come week what is it 17 week 18 i guess it'll be week 18 people are still going to love it and there's still going to be playoff spots on the line and that one game you know it could make a difference this year with the extra games so i mean you have to it's, it is what it is right i think the nfl well, it's good that they built it in there and you know that's what it is so and tim they're talking about not getting paid but future generations will get paid because the more gains, the more revenue, the more TV revenue means one more week of ratings, which means the salary cap will go up, which means that more teams can spend. We learned the other way around this this year, right? If the salary cap goes down, uh, owners will cut guys, and we watched a lot of veterans get cut because the salary cap went down. Well, it works the same way. The salary cap right. will go up, and when the salary cap does go up, that means your salary will, will go up. Jobs will go up. A lot of that will go up. So this will be good in the long term for them. Um, the other thing that I really do like, and it's just a selfish sports fan, the NBA, we know it's an unwatchable product, right? And the NHL, it's fun, but sometimes it drags on sometimes in February. Super Bowl is not going to be in the first week of February anymore. Super Bowl now is going to take you until mid-February. Uh, so you're talking about, you know, this year it's supposed to be the sixth or the eighth. So now you're talking about maybe right around Valentine's Day. You're talking about maybe mid February, pitchers and catchers, uh, you know, are reporting and all that. But you get March Madness. March Madness is two weeks later. Two weeks later. Now, not the tournament. I know everybody about the tournament thinks the tournament. No, but the conference championships. So we're going to have a two week lull, Tim, 
from the Super Bowl till all of a sudden the conference championships in, in college basketball, which is the product that all of a sudden most people are turning to. I love it. I love that that the idea that we'd get that little gap right there. I also love that I know when I was a kid, we used to have playoff games during bowl season. Do you remember that? We used to have playoff games coming in like around the first. I, I, I never liked that. Give me regular season games during bowl games and during important bowl games on like New Year's and that weekend. I like that regular season feel. Then bowl games are over. College football's over. Now let's get right into the NFL playoffs. NFL playoffs are over. Go to the Super Bowl. Super Bowl's over. All right, cool. All of a sudden, two weeks later, we got March and we got March Madness games. I like from a sports calendar standpoint the way that it transitions back to back to back. That time from between uh, you know the Super Bowl the day after the Super Bowl is usually an okay day that Tuesday after the Super Bowl until the conference championships begin and the tournaments begin that three and a half week span it feels like it feels like six months <laughs> right right and you know this week we have basketball Monday Tuesday a day off and then it's uh, Major League Baseball on Thursday so it's beautiful beautiful way, way this is set up and and it is look we're in a position where you know i know people will argue and, and demand is one of them but the nhl regular season gets a little stale right now i know who what teams are are in the playoffs right i know who's good i know what teams are in the playoffs i generally have have an idea if they had a regular season schedule calendar by the time late february comes you're kind of going in the NHL, all right, we, we know who the good teams are, let's get to the playoffs, especially that it's such a, a crapshoot. And I know DeMon will argue, but the NBA regular season is just a flat-out unwatchable product. I mean, it's it's absolutely hard. So you're already going, okay, you know what, let's just get to the Nets-Lakers. <laughs> you know, let's just get there. So you, you kind of get the push. I love the fact that there's only a two-week little window. Let's get right back into it, man. This is I, I'm excited. For, I don't remember another time that a schedule change got me as excited. I'm pumped up. I love the fact that they did this. So let's go, let's go back to, we, we touched on it right at the end of the show last night, Tom. Let's go back and, and dissect this trade that happened with the Dolphins and the Niners uh, 48 hours ago. And uh, go, go over the details and give your side of it and how Miami basically set themselves up potentially for uh, years to come here. Yeah, I gave you the overview last night, and let, let, let me just preface this by saying, no, I'm not overhyping. I, I'm not one of those reactionary hot take kind of guys, okay? Maybe that's what's holding me back in my radio career here, right? <laughs> I'm a nationally syndicated sports talk host, and, and I can walk down the street and nobody asks me my autograph. <laughs> but, <laughs> look, I'm not a hot take guy, Tim, right? We, we never have been. This show is not a hot take kind of show. But I am not hot-taking this when I say this is one of maybe the best trade I've ever seen in sports. And, and let me tell you why. I'm not telling you it's because the team ripped off another team. Okay? Uh, well, that, that happens. Oh, this guy was traded for three bums. And, no, 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 no. That, that, those aren't always great trades. Those are, are great trades for one organization, sure. Um the Herschel Walker trade. Oh, revitalized a foundation. Oh, my goodness, look at what that was. Absolutely, but you didn't know that until afterwards. And a lot of these minor league trades, right? Oh, they traded Nolan Ryan. The Mets did for this. Well, you didn't know it at the time. This is a trade that I think is the greatest the day I heard it. 
And it, the reason why is because what Miami did. At the end of all that's said and done, Miami made a trade with San Francisco, then San Francisco made a trade, then, then Miami made a trade with Philly. So let's go through what happened, and then I will explain why it was such an amazing trade. The Miami Dolphins were sitting at number three overall in this year's draft. Now, number three overall is a very coveted spot. The Miami Dolphins are in a position where they have a young quarterback on their team. This year, we know that Trevor Lawrence is going number one overall. Don't let any reports tell you differently. But Wilson has pushed to a point where he might be number two. Fields, when the season ended, was the preemptive, oh yeah, he's going to be number two. Trey Lance has jumped up people's boards. And Wilson and Lance, by the way, had fantastic, fantastic uh, pro days. They've jumped up into the board. The growing feeling is that one, two, three, four are going to be quarterbacks this year. We're in a generation where quarterbacks are, are generally everything. We see how quickly success could come. Look at Justin Herbert last year. We see how quickly success could come. Look at Joe Burrow just last year. So the Miami Dolphins are sitting at three. The moment that they said to themselves, we don't need to go get a quarterback, meaning we're going to stay with Tua. Maybe there's some hope that Watson's uh, criminal record gets, uh, you know, kind of thrown out of the way. Or maybe Russell Wilson's coming in. Whatever they decided, Tim, they said, we're not going with quarterback. So at number three, generally what they're saying is one, two, three, four is going to be a quarterback. Okay. We're not taking one. Let's go see what we can get. So the San Francisco 49ers trade up. Miami trades back. Miami Dolphins gave up the number three overall pick and the third rounder this year. They then turned around to San Francisco. They got another third rounder, swapped third rounders, picked up a first next year, a first the next year. So 22, 22 the first, 2023 first. And they got their number 12 pick. So they moved down nine spots, picked up two firsts and a third, Tim. And they swapped thirds. Nine spots to pick up two first rounders, basically. This is long-term thinking. I, I ran to Twitter. I said, what an amazing job by Miami. Tom Barton Sports, whoa, going crazy. I can't believe Miami traded down nine spot nine spots and picked up two first round picks. This is unbelievable. This is incredible. How crazy is this? And then, about 45 minutes later, Miami did what I call the greatest trade because the totality of both trades is. Miami that traded back up to number six only gave up one number one pick, which is next year's number one. And it's not their number one. It's actually San Francisco's number one. So in the totality of all that is said and done, at the end of that hour-long period, because it took about an hour, I think it's the greatest trade on the minute that the trade was made that I've ever seen. I don't care who they pick. I don't care if it works out. Tim, they traded down three spots, picked up a third-round pick this year and a first-round pick in two years to move three spots. And they are likely having their board in their draft room up saying, well, one, two, three, four is going quarterback. We're going to get our guy. And whoever that guy is, they believe is going to be there at six. Now, he may not be, but they also might have a either-or position. Well, we can take this guy or this guy. So the Miami Dolphins, to me, the trade trades when they are happen, it's easy to evaluate when they happen. And then you look back 10 years from now, and then it's easy to say, oh, well, that trade was great. 
It's very rare that I see a trade happen that moment and I go, that's brilliant. That's genius. This may not work out for Miami, Tim. We may look back and say, oh, if they stayed at three, they could have got Wilson and, uh, you know, he's leading them to the third Super Bowl and this guy's all everything. Maybe, maybe. That doesn't mean it's not a great trade. Doesn't mean it's not a great trade. They moved back three spots, got a first round pick and a third. This is brilliant, brilliant for Miami. And they're already saying that, you know, when you look at the Dolphins, obviously they have Devontae Parker. They pick up Will Fuller in the offseason, Preston Williams. They're, they're talking at that sixth pick now, Tom, that uh, Brian Flores is looking at Kyle Pitts, the big tight end out of Florida, so he can go with a, the two tight end set with Jasicki and Pitts. And, you know, that's the system he's used to running there in New England, if you remember correctly. Pitts is a generational talent, and I will tell you, I, I think that they are – really truly organizationally torn between two players and that's why i mentioned the two players i think they're torn between penny sewell who is the best left tackle prospect that people have seen and the fact that he sat out a year is, is dinging him a little bit but he would be able to protect two and they do need to revamp that offensive line or the best tight end prospect uh, to according to draft evaluators that they've seen in a decade and that is kyle pitts one way or the or the other the guy that they just decided to hitch their wagon to is going to get a massive player to either protect his blind side or to be a protection throwdown. Oh, here we go, Rob Gronkowski 2.0. I mean, that's what we're looking at. So I love everything that Miami did. They moved down, they did it, and they also said, "We're not only are we going with Tua, but I truly believed him. They're saying, we're going to go get Tua help, which, you know what? That is the all-in, man. If you're going to go all-in on a quarterback, that's the way you go all-in. You go completely all-in. I will throw this before we get to the San Francisco-Philadelphia situation here. I will throw this out at you. There's still a massive belief that Deshaun Watson will be traded. There's still a giant belief. Everybody I talked to in Houston said, there's no way he's taking a snap here. Tim, they now got some first-rounders to work with, don't they? Couldn't they turn around and give up this year's sixth round pick, the sixth overall pick, and the first for Deshaun Watson? And at the end of the day, when the smoke is cleared, let's just say they give up this first round pick, the third, and another first for Deshaun Watson. What did they really give up for Watson? The number three overall. You know, you have to think about it like that. Now, I don't think that Watson's in the cards. I don't think that that's who they're going with. I do think that it's going to be Pitts or Petty Sewell. Um, I think probably Pitts, but I just love the mentality that they're going with. This trade was an absolute A++++ by the Miami Dolphins. So the Niners, in turn, move up to that three-pick, Tom. And you said it. T. Lawrence goes to the Jags, which means the Jets and the Niners are next. So it would either be Zach Wilson or Justin Fields, the newest quarterback for the Niners, correct? Yeah, I mean, that's what it's looking like. I don't believe Jimmy Garoppolo is going to stay there. Uh, we're hearing now that New England doesn't have interest in him. I think this is all smoke screens. Don't listen to anything that you hear right now. Uh, I do know this, that the San Francisco 49ers, I think, have a pretty good read on who the Jets are going to take. And the reason I say that is because we know that Sam Donald has been very connected to the Niners this entire time. So... If the Niners were calling to try to get Sam Donald and the Jets were going, yeah, no, we're not even trading him. Don't even worry about it. Then if that was the case, then they're going, eh, we're going to get our pick of the, of the quarterback here, right? But they also had communication where maybe they're going, yeah, you know what? We might trade Donald. I don't know. you know. And, 
oh, we like this Wilson kid. Think about it. They've been in communication very much. So I think the, the Niners sort of know who they're going to get there. I think they, they are pretty well aware who is going to come in and, and be their next quarterback. We don't know it, but I do believe that they know it. The interesting thing that comes from this, and I know we have to get to the Eagles in a moment. The interesting thing that comes from this, Tim, the Niners are trading up. They're going to go get you know their guy, their quarterback. I think this is a full Shanahan move. I'm an offensive genius. I need a quarterback. We got you. No problem. You know, I, I get all that. And I think that Shanahan's right. He deserves. He's earned it in San Francisco to go get his kind of quarterback. Probably Fields, who would work very well with him. Um, I think it, it's a good spot. But what is really interesting now becomes Atlanta at four. Because Atlanta floated the rumor that maybe Matt Ryan would be out of town. Matt Ryan's not out of town. Matt Ryan's still there. They're not going to go out there and get a quarterback and jeopardize the relationship with Matt Ryan, who is not an old man at this point, and they know they can win with him. They've consistently built on offense. They don't have a defense. I think Atlanta is that team that is absolutely primed to trade. Now, they'll wait because all of a sudden, if it goes one, two, three, and it's quarterback, 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 maybe teams don't drool to move up to go get a Trey Lance. Maybe not. But I will tell you what, if one of those guys fall, if the Jets decide to not take Sam Darnold out of the quarterback spot and to not take a quarterback there, and you're looking at the fact that either Fields or Wilson is available at four, we just watched what the number three pick took. It wouldn't shock me if somebody came up with four number ones for that spot to go and change their franchise. And I'm looking at you, New England. You don't think that Trey Lance uh, would look good in New England? You don't think that Fields would look good in New England? How about Wilson? Doesn't he scream New England? So I think that this draft got really interesting, uh, which we knew it was going to be. On the on the New England side of it, Tom, because really they're sitting there and this has been a, an interesting offseason, right? They went, they've gone out and spent more money in the Bill Belichick era, bringing, uh, retooling the team, which they had to do, right, Tom? They've gone out and re-signed Cam Newton for $5 million, basically as an insurance policy, uh, is the way I'm looking at it, because now they sit in the situation, and you just said it. If the Jets do what the Jets usually do and not take the smart pick, right, that everybody else sees, you're right. It's going to open up a situation here, and I've already heard that, Belichick, and, and like you said, it, a lot of times he, he blows a lot of smoke, but here's the situation. You have Newton just in case nothing works out for you, but they said they're either going to move up and get somebody or they're entertaining bringing Jimmy Garoppolo back, which I, I truly believe is what we both thought was going to happen anyways, even though they, they said no. I think that that's a, the, an insurance insurance plan there because I think he'd rather have Garoppolo over Newton, but if he can move up, Tom, and get one of those guys... That's the, that's the plan, too. And I've also heard Mac Jones' name in there, but I'm not too sure how to feel about that. Yeah, I, I know that they like Mac Jones. Mac Jones sort of fits that team a little bit, but, yeah, I don't know how to feel about that either. That's that's going to be a weird. New England, New England and Chicago were the two teams to watch. Both of them made terrible, terrible decisions. Both of them could correct it uh, with, with the draft falling the right way and making some aggressive moves. I don't think either one of them do. I think that New England probably goes and gets their guy uh, in free agency, like you said, probably Jimmy Garoppolo. And the Bears, I think the Bears are content with uh, just you know watching the red rocket go down in flames. I mean, that that's what we're looking at. Um, how about New England here, Tim? New England moves back. Philly fans are, are very upset. Philly fans are already turning on Jalen Hurts because it's the offseason and they feel like they could have had somebody else. 
Um, I don't blame them. I'm not a fan of Hurts. I don't think he's the guy. Uh, I still think Carson Wentz is actually a better quarterback. I've gone on record and said that a while. But at all of a sudden, now they're sitting at 12. That means there will be no Kyle Pitts. That means there will be no uh, Penny Sewell. That means there will be no new quarterback there. They're not going to look to defense because you get a new young quarterback. You have to surround him. So they could go with one of these uninspiring, and I, I don't want to call the offensive lineman uninspiring, but the, the two through like five offensive linemen are pretty good, Tim. So, you know, the Bears are sitting there at 20. I think they have a shot at, at the guy that might want to be taken at 12. That's how I've broken the draft down. Or they go wide receiver. And, and do you think that they try to take a shot and say, we're going to bring the Heisman Trophy winner here with Hertz, who, by the way, played with Hertz? Is that a, a guy that maybe that they look at? Do they go wide receiver? I'm not sure. I think that the Eagles got hurt worse in this draft than I could possibly even fathom if they don't get this right. If they don't get this right, they're the team. Not Miami, not San Francisco. They are the team that everyone's going to consistently stare at and say, you know what, if Trey Lance falls to six, you could have had a Trey Lance. Instead, we got Hurts. You could have had maybe a Mac Jones. Instead, we got Hurts. And I think that new, uh, that Philadelphia hurt themselves pretty badly. They could go get a wide receiver. I think that's the direction that they do go. Uh, but it's an uninspiring pick to me unless Hurts really, really steps his game up. You feel that maybe the Eagles are becoming that franchise that everybody looks at? Like, what the hell are you doing? You know, do you get that that vibe after winning the Super Bowl uh, just a few years back, Tom, it's it's really gone south for them. I, I mean, you know, on the field, teams that were expected to win the NFC East don't even contend. Uh, the, the, the Wentz debacle with the trade now. And, and yeah, the, you know, they went all in on Jalen Hurts, somebody both you and I didn't necessarily think was, was the NFL star that people think he is. And you're right. Now they make this trade. If, if it doesn't go well for them, you know, you know really it's chaos. Yeah, it's absolute chaos, and that's the whole thing. I mean, when you make a trade, you, you not only have to say, well, it's going to help us, but you have to be in that position where you're saying, it's not going to hurt us. And Miami, Miami made a brilliant trade that even if it goes bad, everyone's going to go, you know what, you still should have made that trade. Okay, You look at San Francisco, San Francisco, San Francisco could get hurt here um, because if the quarterback doesn't work out at number three, but no one's going to blame them for trading up to try to go get that guy. So this is all on their pick. Philadelphia can get hurt by no... You could go out, draft a wide receiver, let him be a great wide receiver, and people could still second-guess you because you decided to stay with Hurts. Yeah. Tom Barton, Tim Mungles, we Heat Wave Sports, Hour 1 in the books. When we come back, we're going to get you ready for Major League Baseball opening day as we finish out our Major League pre Baseball previews. The NL Central up next, Chicago on deck. That's the Cubbies. And we'll break down that division and the AL East for you here in our number two on Heatwave Sports. We are back after this. <laughs> 